thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays. I'm here with Jay Jones, and this is Text Driven Tuesday. And we're back at it. Yep. Back at it. Got a little routine going now. How you doing? Pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, not bad. Yep. You feeling good? You, you finished the you finished your last sermon on Romans for this uh for the next five weeks? Yeah. Feel pretty decent. Yeah. Yep. I uh I noticed that I'm going to finish my section on Malachi. Yeah. And the next week is Easter. Mm. And I was wondering if you were gonna hit us with Romans one eighteen on Easter. <laughs> <laughs> So you're done, and then the next week is Easter? Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, I might just preach an Easter message. We haven't had a good old-fashioned Easter message around here in a while. Yeah. Have we? I don't remember the. I don't remember what we did last <clears> week. <throat> yeah. Yeah, I just noticed that. Yeah. Perfection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How could you turn that into an Easter message? Mm-hmm. It's always possible. Yeah. Anything's possible, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're not we're not there yet. A fool's Easter, I could call it. A fool's Easter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's something to think about. We still have a little ways to go. Yeah. <laughs> I just noticed that. I thought it was funny. But we're in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, mm-hmm. and uh, this is, uh, you pulled a little little sneaky on us because you preached this at the beginning of uh, the Roman series, uh-huh. so you decided to preach preach the same section twice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but the, the first time, first time I was really in the whole book. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I just mentioned this verse in the intro, I believe, uh-huh, that one. Yeah. Oh, we're on, we're on to you, Jay. We're on to you. <laughs> I had to create. We a thought chi- we wouldn't it, notice. It was a chiasm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but th- this is the this. I mean, this is the thesis statement of the book. This this right. is the this is what the book is about. Mm-hmm. And this is a massive passage. This is um, this is what helped spark the Protestant Reformation. Right. Um, this yeah. has been. Um, instrumental in many people's uh, conversion yeah 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 it's uh, where you know that's where the doctrine of justification by faith alone emerges from mm-hmm. right it's like um th- that's like the linchpin of the whole reformation itself right it's what it's really about now it is obviously about recovering the scriptures the sufficiency of scriptures and sola scripture and all of that but at the heart of it is the doctrine this doctrine and what's i what i love about how God works in history, is that the doctrine emerges because of a personal experience of a person, mm-hmm. a person that experiences right. being born again by faith alone, mm-hmm. and it happened by studying this passage. Yeah. I just find it absolutely incredible. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, you you talked about Martin Luther, and of course this is this is his. This is his passage. I mean, he's, I mean he he uh, was going to be a lawyer, and uh, then in a a thunderstorm, I guess some lightning struck. Pretty close, close to by. Him, yeah, like knock knock him off a horse. Yeah, and uh, so he started praying, 
you get me out of this, I'll become a monk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he goes into uh he goes into the monastery, he becomes a monk, and he says that he was the best monk who ever monked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh it was it was all about trying to earn that yeah. that that right standing before God. Mm-hmm. He uh he he would try to uh earn his way. Yeah, and he you know by he... by, by by going through the the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. And uh, confession and they hated him. In, always in coming back to confession. They? Yeah, he even made a pilgrimage to Rome, and that mm-hmm. that was really, I think, before his new birth experience. I think that cracked it. That cracked the shell for him. Yeah, because I think he became disillusioned with the church. Yeah, because he went to Rome and saw all the the decadence and yeah. and wickedness, like, like of, whorehou- whorehouses of, for of priests the, of the church. Yeah. Um, it, think of it like an amusement park, a religious um, uh, amusement park. Mm-hmm. And so you could go, and instead of you know paying to get in one time, you go to each thing, each station. Um, and if you ride the religious station, you pay your money to to get to do that. But then if you do that, you <clears throat> get time out of purgatory right. for each of them you do. So they had like the what was it the stairs, uh, 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 pilot stairs. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh... Is are they? I don't know. That they said that they they transported them from from Jerusalem to. to uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they're the authentic stairs or not. I don't know. Could be. I don't even. Know. How do you even <clears throat> transport these big stone stairs? I don't know. I have no idea. But yeah, he he paid the fare and he mm-hmm. climbed like on his knees and on his face mm-hmm. each of these steps doing whatever they tell you to do, recited yeah. each step, you know, to get to the top where mm-hmm. Jesus stood. Yeah. And he just felt like this, this was nothing. This, this was it. This <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah, this is, uh, this did nothing to me. Right. This is crazy. Yeah. What, what was going on all around. Mm-hmm. And of course there's all kinds of things, you know, like people's bones you can go see and maybe, right. you know, who knows if you could, they let you touch them or not. Yep. Uh, pieces of the ark, like, pieces of the cross, like all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he sees, it's almost like they're just, they're doing this to collect money, mm-hmm. right? He starts to figure out what's going on. It's just one gigantic grift. And then and then you tie in with the selling of indulgences, which really sets him off, um, where he sees they're literally building St. Peter's Basilica, which is a marvel of human creativity and engineering in art, but that was paid for by poor people. Mm -hmm. They took advantage of the poor by selling them tickets of their dead loved ones out of purgatory. Right. You could literally buy somebody out of purgatory into heaven. Mm. That's, and so Luther, God was working in all of these various ways through his own struggle with sin and seeing the corruption that's going on in the church. And then he, they think they're going to make him better by sending him to be study to become a professor. Yes. And it makes it, for them, much worse, for him much better, because <laughs> he learns Greek, um, and he begins to read the scriptures well, in, I, in Greek. I remember a, I remember a story that he, he, uh, he wrote down about his first sermon, and that his dad, his dad came, like this was a big deal, mm-hmm. to, uh, to preach the sermon, and he kind of froze up. Because he was just struck by his unworthiness, mm. like the holiness of God and, and his own unworthiness. And 
that that just characterized his entire life. Yeah. He was just just weighed down uh-huh. with the guilt of his sin mm-hmm. and just never being able to do enough. Yeah. Yep. But like you said, the um, Gutenberg's printing press uh, was printing out uh, Greek New Testaments, mm-hmm. and Luther started studying and, and teaching through the Greek New Testament. Yeah. And uh, through Galatians and then through these verses, mm-hmm. um, it uh, he was converted. Yep. Yep. And... Uh course he's then he starts writing about this stuff he's writing about salvation by faith alone yeah. he's writing about uh, what the text says and of course how the text can contradict what the church has been teaching mm-hmm. and and so the, he's called before court and at the court they lay out all of his writings and ask him to if he'll recant well first are they your writings and of course they right are. right <laughs> uh and then will you recant and he was no like he was literally willing to die and in fact, everyone believed that's what would happen to him, that he would be martyred, maybe like someone like Huss was. But the prince, and I can't remember his name, it's the prince who was over the area where his seminary was. Mm. He kidnapped him. It's like a stealth mission. And Luther wasn't even aware that he was about to be kidnapped after. And that saved his life and preserved the Reformation. Mm. Yeah. An amazing story, really. Yeah, they... Uh locked him up in a in a castle in a castle and, he had like a fake and, identity uh, yeah and and that's when he uh, <laughs> that's when he translated the uh the new testament from um greek and latin into the german language mm-hmm. which also um helped produce the the modern german language yeah like the the german language owes its a lot of its origins to to luther mm-hmm. yeah but yeah, that's this verse. So it's really hard. It's hard. It's difficult to overstate it. That's what I said at the beginning. Like you can't really overstate the importance of these verses, mm-hmm. not just historically, but individually. Like if you understand these verses, you know, it can make an eternal difference for your life. Your mm-hmm. eternal destiny can hang on your understanding of these verses. Right. And a church really isn't a church if they lose this, mm-hmm. what this verse teaches. Yeah. It could be, it, it may do a lot of other good and thing, good things in the world, taking care of people, whatever. But if they don't have this verse, then they're not a church. It was Luther that said that uh, the church stands or falls on the doctrine of justification. Yep. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's read them and let's uh, let's walk through these two verses. Okay. I'll start in verse 15. Okay. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right, and uh, your outline is uh, that there's three reasons here in this text to be eager to share the gospel. Yeah. And that's what Paul is eager to do in verse 15, to proclaim the gospel to those who are in Rome. And uh-huh. so in verses 16 and 17, we have we have three, three fours, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that's that's where you got your outline. Yes. From, right. You mean you got your outline straight Kurt. straight from the structure of the text? Uh, yeah, that's okay. exactly right. what I did. And, <laughs> okay. you know, I was just thinking how grateful I am when you run into texts that just are laid out for mm. you like that. Yeah. You just got to be thankful for that. Just right there. Because sometimes much more difficult to get a very tight mm-hmm. from the text uh, outline that everybody can go like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, right. that's the goal always. But sometimes it's just right there. Right. 
Okay. Just laid there for you. So we've got three fours. Three, yep. Three um, fours. And so three reasons to be eager to share the gospel. And the first one is right there at the beginning of verse 16. The gospel is not something to be ashamed of. Yeah. That's it. Um, so t- so tell us uh, tell us about that. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan, you, know, you need it. Tell us about you that. You needed a couple of Jay. coffee to get to get your juices, your interview juices going, my friend. <laughs> well, what's it mean to be ashamed? Uh, Paul yeah, says, yeah. "I'm not ashamed of the gospel." Later on in the book, he's going to talk about everyone who uh, calls upon the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. Yeah. Right. What? Well, uh, and that's got that's got Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, background to it. Yeah. I think first, when you're making an outline like this, like I, I was like, you know, it'd be nice to to make the outline, this first one, more positive. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, one, com- one commentator, he had uh, a translation in it, and it was, uh, it, this, is, this is maybe better translated as, I am proud of the gospel, because that's what he's trying to communicate. And I'm like, no, that's not what he communicated. Yeah. And I think he did it like this on purpose to pro- to provoke a a uh, self examination, mm. because to be ashamed of something is to be embarrassed of it. Right. Um, it's like you're you could be reluctant to associate with a person uh, because of fear of how that association might come back on you and mm. how people would then view you. Right. So there's a reluctance there, or there's an embarrassment. Mm. Now there is an there is some some truth to that with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like you might be um, shamed because of it. People, yeah. pe- I mean, people will respond in negative ways to you right. for um, preaching the gospel. Well, people will try to make you ashamed. Okay, that's kind of how you should view it. Mm-hmm. They're trying to shame you. Mm-hmm. What, did, what does someone do when they try to shame you? Is they try to make other people not associate with you, uh, for you to be embarrassed okay. of of something, right? Yeah. So, uh, and that happens in, in the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, people. I don't know if you've ever like walked through a mall and tried to share the gospel with people. Everyone should try it. I would recommend all Christians to just try it. But you'll run into these people. Find, I don't know if you'd find any people in our mall. <laughs> Malls are gone. <laughs> this is this completely might, showed our it's age. A ghost, didn't it, it's a ghost town. You might George, just we, walk through it by yourself. Yeah. Well, that that just showed our age, didn't it? You're gonna have to go to an outside shopping facility <laughs> on a good day, on a good day, and catch people before they hop in their car real yeah. real fast. Right. But the mall used to be prime real yes. estate. Yes. You just walk around there, and it didn't used to just be like senior mall walkers. Mm-hmm. There used to be young people in there too. Yes. You know. Yeah. Um, but some will listen. Uh, but a lot of people, you get various ways of people try to do shame to you, like laugh. They mm-hmm. may just laugh at your face, like stupid, you know. Well, that that's they're trying to shame you, or they may get uh, combative and bring up all kinds of, you know, strong language against you. Um, it's always been that way. So in Paul's day, you know, this message is completely radical, um, and I think it would possibly have been accepted by the Romans, except for one thing, and that's the exclusive part of it. Because mm. the Romans would conquer a people and adopt their gods yeah. for s- stability of a society. 
Now they they may rename even a god and add it to the pantheon of Roman gods. Right. They do stuff like that. But Paul's Paul's preaching starts with that there is one God. These are all false gods. And not just that, that he became a man and died on a Roman cross. That's scandalous. Mm-hmm. Um, a Roman citizen couldn't even die on a Roman cross. Right. Some people wouldn't even say the word. It was like out of the Roman vocabulary. That's how taboo it was. Of course, they all had probably seen a crucifixion. It's brutal. Like you're naked, dying over a long period of time, using the bathroom on yourself. Like we don't. This isn't a clean picture. Blood, stench, and uh, Paul's preaching that God became a man and died on a Roman cross, and that, that's laughable yeah. to the Romans. They're like that is a, that is completely stupid story. Gods would never do that. First, the gods are very proud, the Roman gods. They're not loving. And so that message he will tell us in Corinthians, it's like 1 Corinthians 16 and 23, he uses the word that we could translate in a very wooden fashion as utterly stupid. <laughs> so It's the word moronic. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're going to the to the Greeks. This is utterly stupid. Mor- this is moronic. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, th- they'll try to shame you for that. In Paul's life, he-, he experienced all that. But no matter how much they try to shame him, he himself is not ashamed. Mm. That's different than just saying, I'm proud. Yeah. And that causes a self-reflection, I think, for us to think about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like We, too, live in a culture where the only thing you have to do if you don't want public shame... Um, is to just remove the exclusivity of Christ. Right. That's one of the things you have to be careful of when you um, are sharing the gospel with, like, a, uh, a Hindu. Right. Is that, well, like, they have, what is it, millions of gods yeah, in Hinduism? Mm-hmm. Um, what's one more? And they will so they, add one more. They will add one more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was, Billy Graham had a crusade there, and one of my friends is from India, it was became a pastor here in the US. And he said people were so they were like so amazed by the response of how many and he was like, what they didn't realize is it's nothing for them to take another God. Just add one. They're ready to accept another God. Mm. You know? Yeah. So um yeah, you're right. We have to be aware of that. Mm. Well, we've got uh I've got a couple of videos here of some people who are uh ashamed. And yeah. you mentioned you mentioned one but I couldn't help but think about about, <laughs> about another one. Right. And um, you want to set up the first one? Yeah. So this first one I think you're going to show is George Bush. Mm-hmm. So it's 2004, and October 26, 2004, kind of the height of Iraq, Afghanistan wars are going on. You know, it's the global war on terror, and the way the media kind of spins this for stories is it's a clash of cultures and even – to Muslims, they present it. Muslims are presenting this in their world to keep their support going as a religious war, like as Christians versus Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Bush is brought on uh, ABC at 7 p.m. prime time. This is a completely different world back then. So everyone used to watch the news, the mainstream media. And so you're talking millions of people mm-hmm. and talking about to the president mm-hmm. at this crucial time in American history. And so he asked the question, do Muslims uh, go to heaven? Yeah. Now, this isn't... Muslims and other non-Christians go to heaven, to George Bush. Now, what's so shocking is that George Bush, he claims to be 
uh, a Christian. Yeah, he does. Like an evangelical. Uh-huh. Right. Right. Uh, what, Methodist? I'm not sure. They, yeah, I'm said. not sure. I can't, I can't remember. But uh, that's that's what makes it right significant. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, you might turn up a little bit. He's a little soft-spoken here. Let me ask some questions about faith, which is a tough subject to talk about. You have called at times this battle against terrorism a crusade. I, I said it once and probably shouldn't have used that word. Do you think God is involved in this conflict? I don't think this is a religious war. I think this is a war between uh, evil people that are willing to kill on a mass scale, people that would like to end up with weapons of mass destruction and even kill more uh, than they did in New York City. and. But you've used Washington a phrase that interests me, which is you said, freedom is a gift of the Almighty. It is. And if you're the agent of freedom, or consider yourself so in this, does that indicate in your mind that the Almighty is on our side in some way? Uh, Charlie, I think that uh, you shouldn't try to read too much into what I'm saying. I, what I'm saying is a truth. And the truth is people yearn to be free, no matter who they are or what their religion is. Freedom is ingrained in people's souls. Freedom was not placed there by the United States. It was, my judgment, it was placed there by something greater, the Almighty. Do we all worship the same God, Christian and Muslim? I think we do. Does. We have different routes of getting to the Almighty. Does bin Laden, does uh, Abu Musab al-Zarqawi pray to the same God that you and I do? Uh, I think they pray to a false God, otherwise they wouldn't be killing uh, innocent lives like they have been. Do Christians and non-Christians, do Muslims go to heaven in your mind? Yes, they do. We have different routes of getting there. But I, will, I want you to understand, I want your listeners to understand, I don't get to decide who goes to heaven. I, I, the Almighty God decides who goes to heaven. And I am on my personal walk. Let me turn to some... That's the cop-out as we're going to see, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna see in, the, in the, next, the next clip I'm going to show. Uh-huh. Uh, the cop out is I don't get to decide. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. Get to decide. God, God gets yeah. to decide. But I mean, as soon as he right. asks the question, do they go? Do Muslims and Christians go to heaven? Uh, uh, yes, of course, of course. <laughs> like he doesn't even hesitate. <laughs> yeah, um, he gets to decide. That. It's funny. It's funny. He talks about uh, Muslims and Christians. They worship the same God, but uh, only certain Muslims. Right. Not not <laughs> not the Bin Laden Muslims. Yeah. Not the kind <laughs> that follow the Quran. Yeah, they don't. Uh, that's. That's not. <laughs> it's not the same. Like you can't you can't pick and choose uh, which which Islam you're you're wanting to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've got another clip. This is a fun one, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've seen a pre uh, former president yeah. uh, be ashamed of the gospel, but now mm -hmm. we have a. Uh, I, I use the the title pastor very loosely because this is Joel Osteen. Mm. Uh, Joel Osteen on Larry King Live, yeah. he's asked a similar question, mm -hmm. and he whiffs it. <laughs> he whiffs yeah. it just as bad. <laughs> but the, the the difference is uh, George Bush is a politician. Right. Joel Osteen is a preacher. Right. All right, here we go. Phoenix, Arizona, hello. 
Hello, Larry. You're the best. And thank you, Joel, for your positive messages and your book. I'm wondering, though, um, why you sidestepped Larry's earlier question about how we get to heaven. Um, The Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and the only way that the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. Yeah, I would agree with her. I believe that. So then That's a what Jew is not going to hell. No, I. I, I well, no, here's my thing, Larry. Is I can't judge somebody's heart. You know, I don't know. Only God can look at somebody's heart, and so I don't know. I just, to me, it's not my business to say, you know, this one is or this one isn't. I'm just saying, here's what the Bible teaches, and I want to put my faith in, uh, you know, in Christ. And I, I just, I think it's wrong when we go around saying, you know, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going, because it's not exactly my way. I'm just, I'm but not going to be the God. you believe your way. I believe my way. I believe my way with all my heart. But For uh, someone who doesn't <laughs> share it, well, it is wrong, isn't it? Yeah. I, 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 well, I don't know if I look at it like that. I would I would present my way, but I'm just going to let God be Le- the judge of that. Larry tried to help him out. He did. I don't know. So you make no judgment on anyone? No, but I... About pres- atheists? No, I just, you know what? <laughs> I let I let someone let, I'm gonna let God be the judge of who goes to heaven and hell and I just again I present the truth and I say it every week you know I believe it's a relationship with Jesus but you know what I'm not gonna go around telling everybody else if if they don't want to believe that that's gonna be their choice God's got to look at your own heart God's got to look at your heart and only God knows that you believe there's a place for it's crazy I just want to tell the truth but I, you know I'm gonna let God decide. <laughs> Which one is it? Which one is it? I yeah. believe the truth with all my heart. I believe the Jesus, Jesus with all my heart. Yeah, but I'm not gonna say that. To, <laughs> I'm not gonna say that someone, someone else is gonna go to hell. Yeah, uh, like it's, it is cowardly. It's very cowardly. <laughs> it's yeah. cowardly to want to have it both ways. You don't want like he he does not want to offend anyone. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to offend Christians who say Jesus is the only way, and he doesn't want to offend people that are like. Right. So right. he so he just come he just comes off sounding like uh an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. But Jesus said he is the only way, right? John fourteen six says mm. the way, the truth, and the life. And then elaborates, no one comes to the Father but through me. So if you remove that, then at least we're in our culture where we live, you you can remove a shame. You won't be shamed. And I think that's the, the problem is that they fear they have fear. Right, there's fear involved in uh, it, with both of the men, whether they would acknowledge it or not. They're afraid what would happen if they would speak the truth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So um, that that's what it means to be ashamed of the gospel is, um, especially when someone just throws you a softball, right? A softball question like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just answer the question. Just answer the question. Yeah, just say what Jesus said. And yeah, and don't be ashamed of it. You know, you've got to count the cost a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, that's it. Yeah, the um, it, it's it's, it's also, the fear of man. Yeah, you know, right, right. Um, that, that's that's really what's behind it. Mm-hmm. We so the the uh, the temptation is to either stay silent or to um, do what. Joel Osteen is doing, yes, trying to like soften the blow, right? Yeah, or leave something out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's big consequences involved. You know, this isn't anything new. This was going on also in Jesus' life. Mm-hmm. 
Many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Tells you plainly, John twelve forty two right there. Uh, people picked a side. They feared man more than they feared God. But Jesus says in Mark 8 and 34 through 38 that if you're ashamed of him, when he comes, he'll be ashamed of you. Mm-hmm. Dire consequences. Right. Eter- eternal consequences. Right. For you being ashamed of Christ and his gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we do. We, we fear losing respect, status. We, we talked about this with um, in our community group mm. uh, Sunday afternoon, that it's it always is easier to share the gospel with a stranger than it is with uh, a family member or a friend. Oh. And the reason is that we don't have to see the stranger ever again. Mm. So we, we don't, we're not really losing anything from this person. That's true. But you share the gospel with, um, you know, that unbelieving relative, and now, uh, you know, Thanksgiving dinner is awkward. Yes. Yeah. That's right. So we we need to uh, emulate Paul's confidence in the gospel. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, he says that, that uh, those who trust in him will never be put to shame. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we experience we'll, we'll experience some of that loss here from uh from relationships we'll mm-hmm. lose status reputation we ultimately will not be put to shame right uh, we we won't experience loss ultimately mm. yes very that's very good all right, so uh, the, he's he's eager to preach the gospel. Uh, the first reason is because the gospel is not something to be ashamed of. Uh, the second reason is that the gospel is God's power. Right, yeah, that's it. So he moves in, he tells you, why is he not ashamed of it? For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. And you just offended like every first-year seminary student with your uh, your talk about dunamis, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's the favorite, right? Yeah, the word for power. I'm is sure. Dunamis. I'm. I, I know. I've used it before. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I likely did too. Mm. So dunamis is the word power. God's power is his dunamis, um, and we. You can even see that it sounds like dynamite. Mm-hmm. So our word for dynamite is derived from however language evolves to dynamite. Mm. Um, But D.A. Carson points out, he actually uses this word in one of the chapters in his book called Exegetical Fallacies. It's called the etymological fallacy. Okay. It's to think that our word carries the same meaning. Right. But here it doesn't, because dynamite is a destructive force. Right. It's... Power is displayed in its ability to destroy. Mm-hmm. So it really gives you kind of the opposite meaning of what the word means, because God's dunamis, his power, his his activity is really seen and displayed in his ability to create, mm. to create from nothing. Yeah. So that's the most powerful display. That's the greatest display of power in the universe. God's divine power, which is not a separate piece, it's actually part of his being, displayed when he creates, when he speaks and the whole universe comes into being, an act of creation. And that same power is displayed in the resurrection of Christ from the dead, Ephesians chapter 1, and then Paul will elaborate in Ephesians 
that that same powers that work in us caused our spiritual birth uh, to new life. Um, that's God's power. Um, I think, and I think that really takes on a completely different understanding, especially when tied into the gospel, because what we're talking about is people by faith alone becoming right with God and how that operates. And so according to Paul, the means of God's power coming into this world and operating is the actual gospel itself, like the message itself. Right. And I think whether written or spoken out loud, uh, that's the vehicle that God's power is operating in. And that has a lot of ramifications, I think, practically for Christian ministry, evangelism, how you do your church service, like literally everything that you do. Right. If you really believe this, then that has to cause you to evaluate like different things. I think, I mean, we've, we've talked about it on the podcast multiple times. I think that a lot of the, the shenanigans that we see in, in churches is a result of us losing this idea that the gospel is God's power. Mm-hmm. And so we see manipulation um, in the, uh, you know, the invitation system uh, where they turn down the lights and play soft music and they tug on your heartstrings to try to get people to come, come right. down to the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, youth camp, uh, they, they do this in a just <laughs> the worst ways. Um, you know, uh, scheduled revival meetings, um, you know, traveling evangelists using puppets. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You had a you had a, a good example of uh, lowering the lights. Yeah, and... we had in worship class in uh, seminary round one of seminary. Uh, one of the larger Southern Baptist churches in the metro area came and was talking to our worship class and literally said these words, and I put them in quotes in my sermon because I wrote it down. <laughs> we dim the lights at the end of our service. We play some soothing music. We're trying to manipulate people to accept Jesus. That's wild. I would testify in court that yeah. those are the exact what, words. What was the response in class? Just silence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was, I bet it was crazy. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I was really shocked. Yeah, that's, shocked. that's really wild. Because you know, we always talk about it. You know, you're having coffee with somebody, and mm. especially if you're like from the reformed spectrum, and you're like, "Yeah, these things are manipulation." But for someone to actually <laughs> somebody say it, actually say it, like that's their stra- they, they have a strategy. It's like that a strategic meeting. But that's exactly yeah. what we see. I, I know you haven't been to False Creek. But I, <laughs> I've been to Falls Creek many times, and that's exactly what they do. There's a sermon that is usually filled with a lot of stories, mm-hmm. and then there's some emotional manipulation. Um, and then that, and then they will they will dim the lights. They'll play soft music. Um, I mean, there has been there's there's been uh, testimonies from like the Billy Graham crusade of them having people like plants mm-hmm. in the, in the crowd to like quote unquote prime the pump. Yeah. So they'll get up so that other people will, will come, will start following. It's them. like the feds. 
That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's like the feds on January 6th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is this is all manipulation. Yeah. And it, it shows that we don't believe the power of the gospel. That's, mm-hmm. that's why we have, that's why we feel like we have to have all these programs. We have uh-huh. to have all this stuff. Um, we, we have to sing, uh, you know, 10 verses of just as I am <laughs> because, uh, well, maybe they'll come on that last verse. Right. Uh, but if we believe that the gospel actually is the power of God, then we can get rid of some of that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And adopt all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And that's the gateway in right. the belief in pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pragmatism or power. You take the pick. Yeah. That's what you got. <laughs> and the way our, the churches in the West have gone is away from the power. Yeah. So it's without discrimination. You see, it's for the Jew and also the Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, and this ties in with previous sermons that we've already talked about, that this is for the sake of his name, that's Christ's name, among all nations. And we showed how that the gospel will extend to every people group on earth. That's the goal of the gospel, and it's for the worship of Christ. Um, and that really runs, that's a theme that runs through the New Testament. But there is a qualification Right, so it's without discrimination, but the qualification here is belief and faith. So it's a power of God for those who believe, mm-hmm. and that does set, set up a tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. We've already encountered the doctrine of effectual call and election, um, and here we're presented that faith is something that the person must exercise. Mm-hmm. You must trust Christ. Um, God isn't going to trust Christ for you. Right now, He may free you from sin and free your will, but you have to take hold of Christ. Right. Uh, it, salvation is by faith alone. Right. That's the key point uh, that that's brought up over and over in the beginning of Romans, the first uh, first part of the book. So. And it's not just intellectual assent to the facts of the gospel, of who Jesus is, of what he did in his life, what happened in his death, and his resurrection from the dead. A lot of people can believe those facts, but not ever have biblical faith. Like, faith is trust. You're trusting that Christ will do what he said, that he actually died for your sins, right? And you're resting in him. Like you're banking your eternal destiny on this, that he is who he says he is, and that he does what he says that he does. Um, that's different than just having facts straight in your head, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Spurgeon, again, he had that illustration of the fireman. Your house is burning. You're on like the fifth store, fifth story, and your options are you're going to die, you're going to burn in your house, or you can jump down to the fireman. So you have to jump eventually. And the only way you're going to jump is if you think they're going to actually catch you. Right. So faith in Christ is like that. You believe he'll catch you. Yeah. Um, and so before before the jump ever comes, the faith is a reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, someone, one of our members in, uh, in community group asked a, a good question. And uh, I thought it was worth uh, talking about it a little bit um, on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like we've got the mani- we've got the manipulation, like pulling, tugging on the heartstrings. Uh, on the other side, there is uh, the question was um, 
does the can we be too aggressive? Mm. Like can we can we turn people off from the gospel by our attitude and the way that we approach mm. uh, uh, witness witnessing right. to the gospel? And um, I th- I think we probably know people like that. We, uh-huh. we all know people that. Uh, we talked about cage stage uh-huh. a little bit. Uh, people that should be locked in a cage because they are just like uh, this aggressive bulldog. Right. Um, I think that, and my answer was, I think that also is um, undermining the power of the gospel mm-hmm. because now we're all, it's 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 uh, manifesting in a different way. You've got the you've got the the youth camp. Um, turn the lights down and and make everyone weep yeah. to come to Christ. On the other side, you're undermining the power of the gospel because you think that you you have it within your own power to uh, convince the person uh, or argue, mm-hmm. argue them into the kingdom. Right. And so you have to have every answer and you have to uh, browbeat them mm. <laughs> over the head with the Bible. Right. And I think that's also, um, I think that also is undermining the, the power of the gospel. We don't. We don't have to do that. Yeah. We don't have to be um, jerks for Jesus. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> In order to get people to uh-huh. into heaven. Right. Yeah. Uh, because we all we have to do is present the message mm-hmm. um, in a clear a clear fashion. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you think about all of the obstacles that a non-believer will have as to reasons why they won't believe this including their own sin, which manifests in all kinds of different things and reasons not to believe, we don't want to erect an extra barrier, right? Uh We know we can't remove the barriers, but we don't want to put another one up. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard it said that let the gospel be offensive, not you. Yeah. Don't don't let you don't don't let you be the reason why people aren't listening. Uh-huh. Uh, that if they're going to reject the gospel, let them reject the gospel and not um, this jerk over here who right is a bully. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm uh, reminded of First Corinthians chapter one, uh, talking about Jews and Greeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, Paul's talking to the Corinthians. There, they are. Uh, they're they're wowed by rhetoric yes and and by philosophy and and by um you know this uh this fancy way of talking and and wisdom yeah and, they'll uh, they'll they'll like buy tickets to watch people, yeah that, yeah people they, do this yeah they, like it's a profession yeah uh to to go around and use rhetoric and they didn't really care about the truth yeah they just wanted the style mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like uh like being in a court like with yeah. lawyers yeah like if if you have a criminal defense attorney, they're not trying to, even if there's, they're trying to get you away from the truth by the way that they're mm-hmm. <laughs> they're talking, right? You know, uh, but Paul says um, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles there's that word foolishness moronic, right. but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power. Mm-hmm. Dunamis, yeah, of God and the wisdom of God, yeah. Uh, I mean, that gets that gets back into our theology of, of God's sovereignty and in election, yeah, and um, this effectual call, yes, 
Like we're we're not producing the effectual call on people's hearts. The Holy Spirit is. Yeah. Um, but it's through the gospel. Mm-hmm. So we don't we don't have to manipulate that. We right. just need to trust in the power. Right. For those who believe it's the power of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right. So uh the gospel is not something to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. It's the power of God. And now we come to the kind of the the uh the keystone of the book of Romans. Mm-hmm. For in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and Luther knew about this verse yeah. before he was converted. Yeah. And he said this verse actually made him hate God. Yeah. Now, how could that possibly be? <laughs> yeah, because it, it gets back to, you know, what was going really on in his heart was his trying to justify himself. And what he saw in this verse was uh, just a revelation of God's just, uh, his distributive justice mm. that he wields in the earth. Yeah. And so he saw, how could I ever get beyond God's perfect righteousness? Mm-hmm. And he, he was connecting it. Right. He's getting to the crucial place of understanding no one can do that. Yeah. And that's really what where the struggle came. How is this good news? Like, how is this, yeah, how is it good news In at all? the gospel, the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God punishes sin. <laughs> right. How is that good news? Right. And it was through, so he studies this verse in depth, and then he compares it to Habakkuk 2.4, which says the righteous will live by faith, which is quoted by Paul right here. And also Psalm 31.1, which says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. So somehow in that psalm, the righteousness of God is the means not of condemnation, right. but of somebody's deliverance. And so when he began to examine this verse through the lens of God, God's righteousness being the vehicle of deliverance, then he was able to see that in the gospel what was revealed is both the justness of God, which corresponds to what he says in chapter 3, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, let's see, yeah, chapter 326, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. That means that no one could accuse God of being unrighteous mm-hmm. or being unjust, to show his, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who fa- has faith in Jesus Christ. So that is revealed. How is God's justice maintained? But what Luther saw was, as examining through Psalm 31 and twenty and 2.4, and Habakkuk 2.4, was that the righteousness of God as the means of deliverance was the perfect righteousness of God given by faith to the sinner. And that is what makes the person right with God, is that God gives that person his righteousness, and that delivers him from God's judgment. That's revealed in the gospel, because at the gospel, at the cross, that's what's taking place. And he's not interpreting everything in a vacuum. He has the rest of Paul's writings, right? And so he knows how Paul will describe this in Corinthians as this transaction which takes place. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God, to become the righteousness of God. And so he's looking at all of these things, and he that's when he realizes this is a forensic righteousness, a, a switch that takes place, where the sinner himself uh, receives what God requires— to be right with him, 
not on the basis of works, but only on the basis of faith. Mm -hmm. They receive the righteousness of Christ. Christ receives the sin of the person, and God's just because he does actually punish the sin. Right. And this is um, this is different than Rome's view of infused righteousness, right. where they through the through the uh, the mode of baptism through the mass that God is giving is is making this person righteous with their own righteousness. Yes, it's infused. Uh huh. This this is not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about imputed righteousness. Uh huh. That it's not it's a, a, an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not our righteousness. We're not standing before God in our own righteousness. We're standing before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Right. Yeah. And the Second Corinthians five twenty one, as we already said, makes that clear. But so does Philippians chapter three, where Paul is elaborating on uh, the, this concept of righteousness, in particular his own self righteousness. Right, and how people would have even seen him as a righteous man because he was a Pharisee, he was zealous, he had all of these good works, even the right lineage, like he is the right ancestry. And he says, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That is his all his prior good works, his righteousness. He counts it as, and the word rubbish is like if you live on the upper deck of a Roman apartment, all of your trash goes into a bin, but so does the human waste. Mm. It goes into one bin. Right. That rubbish is thrown in the street. Rome is not a nice, <laughs> as nice as you think it is, okay, unless you're like rich. Um, that's rubbish, mm. and that's all of Paul's good works. Yeah. I wish I would have uh, told people what that word meant. It, It's... Uh, that's what you have to give to a holy God, mm-hmm. and and that's what he says. In order that I'm, he could gain something else, gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, and that's important. Right. It's the righteousness from God, from, from him to what? To the person. That depends on faith, and that's it. That's what he's saying right. here. In these texts in Romans, yeah, uh, again, First Corinthians chapter one, which uh, it's almost like it's written by the same person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paul says that, uh, but by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. That's union with Christ, mm-hmm. um, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness mm-hmm. and sanctification and redemption. So yeah. that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Right. So Christ became our righteousness. And we're clothed with that imputed righteousness of Christ. Right. So when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of his son, which is good news. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, now we've got this uh, interesting phrase uh-huh. that um, people argue about. Yeah, they do. Um, in, the, uh, in, in it, in the, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. I have my, my, I have my legacy standard in front of me, so I, I don't remember what the ESV says, but the, the LSB says... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Yeah, that's what the ESV says. Is that what the ESV says? I think some say from faith for faith. No, it does say for faith. Oh, okay. From faith for faith. Okay. Yep. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) What's it mean? What's it mean from faith to faith or from faith for faith? People, they will argue um, grammatically for various 
interpretations. But I think whatever your interpretation is, it has to include Habakkuk 2.4. Mm-hmm. Because he says, as it is written, as if he's going to explain to you what the term means. Yeah. And so, so it's like Habakkuk 2.4 explains what it means to have faith for faith. <laughs> and so you go back when you go back to Habakkuk, and we probably had a whole sermon on this section there, but the the background is important because you have a prophet of God complaining about the people of God who are worse sinners than the surrounding nations. And God's response is, well, I am just and I am going to judge sinners, and so I'm sending the Babylonians to destroy you, <laughs> right? It creates a big conflict in the prophet. It's a very interesting book. And so this verse is quoted in Habakkuk 2.4, and in that section he's really comparing the unrighteous and to the righteous, right? So the the unrighteous in Habakkuk's time, are they're like the unbelieving, right? Um, they're Jews by birth, but they are outside of the covenant by their lack of faith. They're going to perish, but the righteous will live by faith. So the righteous are the righteous remnant chosen by grace who are right with God because of their faith in his promises, in particular the Messiah. Um, and so, like Abraham, they're justified by faith. But they, there's still a judgment coming. So a judgment will come, and the people who will persevere in faith are the ones who will live. Now, some of them will die, um, so it has to mean more than just continuing to live in the world. Some of them will live, and they'll have to live in captivity. So I think what the word is meaning is that faith is both the initial beginning point and the trajectory of a life, and that perseveres the person through the, to the end. Mm. So the Christian life can never be described any other from faith to faith right. or from faith for faith. Beginning by faith... And continuing in it, yeah, it, it's Hebrews eleven. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not faith is not just the the entry. It's the it's it characterizes the Christian life. That's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live by faith. Yeah, and I think that's the best explanation. I I I one hundred percent agree. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly what um, it means. Some people may be looking at it and like, how can people get so many different uh, words from this? The that word either translated to or, or for it's, it's a, it's a Greek preposition. That's like this catch all word that means, <laughs> it means so many different things just depending on the context. Mm. Um, but I, I think that's right. I, I think it's, it's, you, you believe by faith, you, you, you're converted by faith, but you live and are sustained by faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Yep. Yep. And that's it. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, I guess what uh, we call that the the intro, the intro to the Book of Romans. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yep. Right. So well, next week, you're back, Malachi. Back. Yeah. Yeah. We'll start the Book of Malachi. How many verses? Uh, four. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So make sure to prepare for that. You want to go and read Malachi this week to get ready. Yeah, we'll be um, we'll we'll start uh, this book. It's not a very long book. Uh, it's probably overlooked quite a bit just because of where it's it's located. But um, 
it's a it's a great book. Oh, five verses. Sorry, five verses. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and we'll uh, this round we'll go through verse sixteen of chapter two, I believe. Awesome. So yeah, five, looking forward to five it. sermons. Yep. Good. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Well, uh, we are off to a great start with the Book of Romans, and it's uh, it's been helping me to slow down a little bit and look at some of those passages that we often overlook in those uh, the intros to, to these books. So thank you, Jay. It's been really good, um, really edifying. Hopefully it's been helpful for the church, and hopefully this podcast has been helpful for you. If it has, uh, make sure to like, subscribe, share. Uh, if you don't have the uh, Christ Fellowship Church of Lawton app, uh, make sure to, uh, to download that, and you can find past sermons, past podcasts, and uh, we hope that that will be a beneficial tool for you. Well, I uh, hope you have a good week, and we will see you next time. God bless.